Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the God-Centered Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. This is episode 177, where I'm inviting my friend, Erin Odom, to be brave and share her story of a financial crisis her family has walked through and provide hope for the gal who may be walking through one right now. We saw God begin to turn our situation around. Really, it was during that whole four-year process that it really accumulated in, in the bankruptcy God wanted us to trust Him in all things, that He was our great provider, and that we really had pride that needed to be humbled, and that when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He will lift us up, and that He gives grace to the humble. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been told there's a few topics you avoid at dinner parties, religion, finances. Well, we're going to hit on a touchy subject, talking about finances, talking about poverty, talking about bankruptcy. And Erin Odom is going first. Erin doesn't just go first. She reminds us that we can't make assumptions about someone's financial situation based on how they look. Sometimes we can make judgments. Sometimes we can make wrong judgments about our own financial situation and think we're worse off than we really truly are if we look at the global economy. Sometimes we can actually, in Erin's case, she thought they were better off than they actually were. Uh, And it was a really humbling moment to ask for help. Uh, I love, at the end of this episode, the example of God's grace over our spiritual bankruptcy as Erin experienced a judge forgiving her financial debts. Don't miss that at the end of this episode. Erin wrote down her story and so many practical tips in her new book, More Than Just Making It. And if you're someone that even purchasing that book would be a stretch for your budget, I want to share the idea that Erin offers at the end of this show, but I want you to hear it now so uh, you're encouraged. She so wisely suggested that you request it at your library. I love this idea. That way, not only do you benefit from Aaron's insight, you also provide an opportunity for another family or woman to hear uh, and get the tips that Aaron's sharing. Another great option if you're looking for help right now is Erin's free five-day e-course on eating on a budget. In order to get that, go to More Than Just Making It, that's the same title as her book, dot com, more than just making it.com. Put in your email address where it prompts you and you'll get that free five-day e-course and get help for your family because I know money on food, that's where our family, uh, <laughs> we can get sabotaged if I haven't planned appropriately So get ready for some of Erin's friendship you're going to find just knowing that she's trusting you with her story, knowing that you are not alone if this is part of your story, and encouraging us to reach out and talk to each other about our hard places. Uh, Stick around to the end of the show. I wanted to give an update on the logo contest that I pitched out there, uh, offering $200, and it ends October 1st. I didn't give an end date on my last episode. Speaking of last episode, y'all are amazing at sharing. I mean, blown away by your beautiful graphics with quotes from Paul David Tripp, blown away with how good you were at telling friends that it was helpful to you, and so very thankful that I've had friends come up to me, personal friends, and say it's helped them understand the gospel and their parenting more. That is the best testimony. If it's transforming your daily interactions, um, I guess the only trick, too, is uh, once you've listened to it and maybe your spouse hasn't, to not hold them to a standard and get frustrated with them because they're not parenting 
in the same way that you would like to parent, that we need to show grace and the gospel to our spouses who um, may be struggling to embrace this themselves, that they may not understand the gospel for themselves. So I wanted to give that little caveat, but most of you enjoyed the episode. I haven't heard from one person who didn't, but maybe they're too scared to say something or they don't want to hurt my feelings. But if you did enjoy it, Paul is offering a live two-day event, Friday night, September 29th, and Saturday morning, September 30th. Here's the good news. You can pay to get a license to watch it in your own home, with your small group, with your whole church can have an event. And if you can't pull it together by September 29th and 30th, no worries. You get access to the video and the content all the way through October. So just go to godcentermom.com backslash parenting to check it out. If you'd like to save money, that's what we're talking about today, saving money, you can get 5% off using the coupon code GCM. So like I said, if you're curious, go check it out at godcentermom.com backslash parenting, and then you can learn gospel parenting as a community, as a church body, as a family, and be encouraged. All right, let's talk about money. Here I am with Erin. Hey, Erin, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. Well, uh, you and I have met and talked before, and so I was thrilled to see this dream that we had been talking about so long ago become a reality in your book, More Than Just Making It. And I can't wait to dive in to your story and all God's done in your family's life. But before we do, would you just introduce everyone listening to your family? Yeah. So my name is Erin and I've been married to Will for 12 years. We have four children, three little girls. They are nine, almost seven, five. And then we have a little baby boy who is six months old. I think seven months by the time this airs. (laughs) He was our little surprise. We live outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And my husband and I, he was a high school teacher for years. And in the past, I've taught too and um, also wrote for newspapers. But now we run my blog, The Humble Homemaker, together as a family. Well, I did not know it had grown to the point where that was both y'all's full-time job. That's very exciting. He just finished work in um, December 2016. And so he, we worked together for a month in January. And then on February 3rd, I had the baby. <laughs> and he had to kind of take over. And he was like, okay, you know, what do I do? Uh, you're in the bed with the baby all day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's, been, it's been a good transition, though, overall. For those listening who don't know you, don't know your site, Humbled Homemaker, you have been on quite the journey in your marriage, in your life, um, financially, things that, I don't know, I can identify with you uh, as far as the growing up in the upper middle class and being taught that if we worked hard and we got a college degree, that everything would go well for us. Mm -hmm. So talk us through when, you know, you got married How did you get to the point uh, where you're walking in to apply for food stamps? How do you go from happily married, graduated? I think your husband had a master's degree. Is that right? Mm -hmm. He did. He had master's and almost a second master's. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So how did you get there? So yeah, you're you're right. I know and your listeners are I'm assuming around our age. You know, my husband was born in the mid seventies. I was born in eighty and we were told our entire lives you work really hard in school, go to college, you have to go to college, get your degree, and you're set. You'll be set for life. You won't ever struggle. And that just didn't prove true for us. A lot of us um, that were born in that generation, what happened right when we were really coming into adulthood 
the recession. And so my husband and I, we got married in 2005. In 2006, we bought our first home. In 2007, the market crashed. Of course, nobody was predicting the market would crash. We bought our home at the height of the market. We thought we were buying it below our means um, because we only qualified it on one of our salaries at the time. But um, fast forward, you know, a couple years and it was the mortgage was already underwater because the house had lost so much value. My -hmm. husband and I, we met on the mission field. We met in Costa Rica um, right out of college. He finished his master's degree and we always just dreamed and thought we felt called to the ministry. And so um, we had our first baby in 2008. We were trying to sell our house to go to the mission field. No bites. I think we may have had one showing, just no bites on the house. And the missions agency, they had a rule where you had to sell it before you left the country. Well, um, They finally said, if you rent the house out, then you can go. Mm-hmm. So we packed our little family up, you know, with our baby and we moved all the way across the country. So we were living in Mississippi and we moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So we moved to a different country um, to do missionary training for four months, and then they were going to send us to Mexico. So while we were there, um, my husband's parents, they had been married for 38 years. They announced that they were getting a divorce. Mm. That really set us kind of into a tailspin, especially my husband. And then during that time, he and I realized we had um, struggles that we really needed to work through um, before we would be in full-time ministry. So long story short, we had to come back home. We moved instead of back to Mississippi near his family because of everything that they were going through. We moved near my family. That's what our pastors and just counselors advised because my parents had a really strong marriage and could help us. So we moved back and, you know, we had gotten rid of almost everything before we went to the mission field. So we moved in with my parents for six weeks and we basically had nothing, you know, we we had no furniture. We had no vehicles. We had no jobs. We had a baby to support. And my husband, thankfully, um, praise God, was able to find a job fairly quickly as a high school teacher. I really wanted to stay at home with our baby. We tried to make it work. Um, I got some side jobs. So I started tutoring at an elementary school. I started teaching some homeschoolers Spanish. And I started freelancing for several local newspapers. And my husband started working some different jobs, too. He picked up some extra side work at the school, Saturday school, summer school, after school, teaching during the <laughs> period. Every, I mean, he was basically there all day and still we couldn't make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really know what, why we couldn't make ends meet it just every month. You know, it would be like, okay, we, we don't, we can't buy more food because we don't have more money in the bank account. And he mm-hmm. got paid once a month at the end of the month. And we really, really struggled. So um, we ended up getting pregnant with a second child. Okay. So we have three surprise babies. <laughs> all left, but three, our, our second, third and fourth kids were all surprises. One day, um, a woman who I had met was kind of helping me with our, our little girl in this free program that I didn't even realize at the time was for low-income people. My sister said, why don't you do this little play group? And I was like, oh, awesome. I want to meet people. Well, I didn't even know it was for low-income people. The lady said, you know, um, I bet you would qualify for government aid. And I remember I was just, I was so embarrassed. My, my cheeks just like burned bright red. I also, around that same time, a friend said, I've been reading this blog and I know you like to eat healthy. And this blogger talks all about how she can make, um, 
she could eat healthy food on a food stamps budget. You should totally check it out. So I thought that would be awesome. You know, if she could make it on a food stamps budget. I bet we can too. That's probably like similar to our budget. So I went to the blog post and the budget was way more than what we were trying to eat wow. on. So I was like, wow, I never thought that, that I would do this, but if that's what we could get for food stamps, then we could eat like kings. So we ended up applying. When I walked into that food stamps office, it was a very humbling moment for me. But in that in that moment, God began to work on my heart and showed me that the reason why it felt so humbling was because I was so prideful. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk me through that pride because I think you even mentioned that your mom stayed in the car. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, I mean, she said, I'll stay with the girls, which is very kind, but you you kind of got the sense that she was maybe embarrassed as well. But I know that some of the humbling was, you mentioned, decisions you made as newlyweds and decisions you regret. And if that newlyweds listening or that young mom is listening, how can you help her maybe make some better decisions? Because I get that, you know, life just happens and situations reveal our pride but then sometimes in our pride, we also make decisions we shouldn't make that are that are unwise and aren't stewarding. And I know you reference a few of those. So how mm-hmm. could you help her kind of be the Titanic for her? So <laughs> avoid yeah. that iceberg ahead. <laughs> so, you know, one thing, like you mentioned, you know, my pride and we, we had, we thought we had done everything right. Mm-hmm. We look back and we see the mistakes we made in our newly red, wed years. And, and one thing God taught me during this whole time was maybe sometimes we do things that quote unquote right, what the culture says is right, but things can still go wrong. And everyone has a story and not to ever judge those people on on food stamps or government aid because we do not know how they got there, you know? So as far as some of those practical mistakes that we made during our newlywed days, probably the biggest is that we bought a house. Mm. We bought a house um, after we've been married for a year, here's the thing. So we didn't, we didn't know how long we were going to be there. And now I know really you need to buy a house if you think you're going to be somewhere for about five years. Yeah. Which is always hard to predict, but like if you're newly married and in the transitional season, mm-hmm. perhaps not the time. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to, you know, if you know, we're probably going to move in a year, it's probably not the best time to buy a house. And yeah. see, our our parents' culture, you know, our, our parents' generation, they taught us, you don't want to rent because that's throwing money down the drain. Oh, okay. yes. We've heard that so many times, right? That's what yeah. I grew up. I, my husband's just kind of wise with this stuff. And I remember our first five years of marriage, we moved five times, I think, different cities and I'd always heard, you know, you're wasting money. Your best investment is your home. And he's like, I am not buying a starter home. <laughs> he said he was so adamant about it. So we did. We rented for, I think, our first six years of marriage. And our only house we've ever bought is the house we're still living in 13 years later. Wow. Um, because he just was like, I'm skipping the starter house. We're going to save until we can afford the home that we want to live in for a long time. But I wouldn't have done that. I would have followed what you guys did. I would have thought, no, we need the cute little house because we're married and that's being wise and mm-hmm. it's just really interesting. And you can't know that a recession is going to happen. 
Exactly. So now I tell everyone that may have been true for our parents' generation too. And when you look at their generation, they didn't move around as much as our generation seems to, you know, like generation X and then the millennials that came right after me and you, they, um, you know, they, we move around a whole lot more. So I would say, you know, you need to, to feel pretty sure you're going to be somewhere for a while, but also this is huge, Heather. There are expenses that come with home ownership. So even though you're throwing away, right? (laughs) Yes. So even though you might be, you might have a lower mortgage than you have rent. If anything breaks in that house, you're responsible for it. And your taxes. You know? Your taxes could be as much as rent. Exactly. So yeah. you have taxes. You have to fix everything that breaks. And those are things that we didn't take into consideration. So, you know, and like the biggest thing, if you have to replace a roof or an HVAC or water heater, those things um, add up. But even little things. So we bought that house that later in the book, spoiler alert, we end up losing. But we, when we moved to North Carolina, we rent it. And we rent it for four years. And... I have 100% don't regret that Um, because different things, we were barely making it. And there was um, one time when our refrigerator gave out and the landlord, it was his refrigerator. He not only paid to fix it, but he gave us a check for food that had spoiled in the refrigerator, which was such a blessing. And, you know, anytime something broke, he was over there and he was fixing it. And when you own your own home, you're going to have so many of those expenses that you don't take into consideration. And I, it was really nice actually to rent a townhouse because we didn't have to do any yard work. Mm-hmm. Yard work doesn't just take time. It also takes money to maintain yeah. flower beds and all that. Yeah. So that was a really big mistake we made in our newlywed days was buying that house. And, you know, part of it was, and I don't want to blame our parents, but, you know, we'd heard our whole lives and, you know, and we're encouraged to go ahead and buy. Of course, nobody knew what was going to happen with our generation and and the housing crash. But also, it wasn't just that. It was that I remember sitting in Sunday school with people in our church, and there were all these other young married couples, and we felt like we were the only ones renting, because we actually rented that house for a year, and then our friend, we were renting it from friends. They sold it, and we bought it. And I just remember thinking, like, we're the only ones that don't have our own house. And And there's that pride I I was talking about. Yeah. Yes, that is that Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know, what is really awesome, like we fast forward 12 years, people in our generation now are saying, the heck with the house, I'm going to go downsize and move in a tiny house or we have some (laughs) just, they sold their house and moved into an apartment with their two sons. You know, these people are in their late thirties because they're like, we are going to pay off our debt. Mm -hmm. And so they're in this two bedroom apartment now. And I completely respect them and I'm excited for them because they're doing what really all of us uh, probably should have done. And what you and your husband did do, (laughs) you know, during our newlywed days was live small, you know, rent that apartment and, Get financially secure before you buy a house. The other thing is that we spent all the money we made. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and and here's the funny thing. We thought we weren't that wealthy then. I mean, we we weren't wealthy, but we were very solid middle class. We could have had kids and been fine on what we were making. We were both teaching in Mississippi the first year we got married, which believably or not, the school district we were in, we got paid more in Mississippi as teachers as we did than my husband did in North Carolina. So 
take what my husband was making in North Carolina, add, uh, you know, $10,000 or so, and each of us were making that. So we were doing way better then, but we didn't save it. So we spent everything we made and looking back, if there's any way at all, if you, if there's a young uh, newlywed couple, you know, newlywed woman that's listening or even, you know, someone who is working full time and maybe you have a child or two and you really want to be a stay at home mom, do everything you can to save your salary. Mm -hmm. We should have been saving my salary and living off of his. And -hmm. we could have definitely done that back then. But that's one of our biggest regrets. And again, the reason we don't is you mentioned several times the shame or the discouragement from social media, looking at your either people looking at your life and it not being as amazing or you looking at others and seeing, oh, they just went on this fancy trip or they just got this new car. Or So did you ever set boundaries on your exposure to Facebook so that your heart didn't do that? Didn't because I think the financial we're, it's so tricky. We have this spiritual realm and we have this physical realm and it's, you know, as the church, it's like, oh, we can't talk about money, but then oh, we talk about tithing and we only talk about, but we live in a physical realm and we have money and, but I know that money wow. is a hot topic in the Bible. So we need to talk about it. It affects us. Our heart towards money is the most important thing. And if we're not even guarding our heart and the exposure to comparison, I think we get in this trap too. I know I do. So did you ever set boundaries up for your social media exposure or anything like that? I did um, somewhat. You know, I like I said in the book, we, we were going through this huge trial. Our yeah. marriage was falling apart. We had right. no money. You know, we didn't have a car or anything. And I, I felt like at first, you know, we were isolated from our friends because mm-hmm. even though I had grown up in North Carolina, I hadn't lived in my hometown since high school. So that had been 10 years. That I, By the time we moved back, it had been 10 years. Um, and now it's been uh, eight years since we moved back. But anyway, so I didn't have friends except for Facebook. And yeah. so we would log on Facebook and we would see our friends' new homes. We would see their Disney World vacation. We would see like somebody's engaged, somebody's pregnant. And it felt like everything was going great in everyone else's life and that our lives were terrible. So I did learn, you know, there's some things that I did, like I, I stopped looking as much. Um, I stopped following some people. There were even some people that I deleted as friends back then, but honestly, Heather, coming through it on the other side, I realized it wasn't those people. It was me. Yeah. You know, First of all, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Those people may have just, you know, gone to Disney World, but they also might be drowning in debt or their marriage might be struggling or maybe not. Yeah. But you never know what's going on behind closed doors. And I think that when our hearts are right, that we can be joyful for people and whatever good is going on um, and just realize that we all have different kinds of struggles. Also at the time, I remember thinking, you know, I would see, you know, what somebody else posted and I think, well, I wish that was my problem because my problems are way worse than theirs. Yeah. And, you know, and and now I realize, especially when I see people post different things now, you know, I've seen people post, um, I don't want to name any specific struggles. I don't, because I don't want to minimize anything, but people will post about a struggle and I'll just think, uh, you know, we 
all don't struggle the same, but we all walk through trials and, and I can't minimize theirs and they can't minimize mine. Mm -hmm. And their trial is is a very deep trial for them right now. Mm -hmm. As well, though, I'm able to see right now they think this is awful and they think that this is worse than anything anybody else could ever go through. They don't know what I've been through um, and just pray for them, Mm -hmm. you know, and just pray that, that God will just give healing and open their eyes to different things. So I've been able to, to, I think, give more grace to people on social media because I just realized you never see what's on the other side. Well, and if that percentage that you gave from a 2014 article that 57% of families have jobs that don't pay enough, you talked about uh, the working poverty, is that what it's called? Uh, working poverty? The working poor. The working poor. Working poor. Mm-hmm. That they have jobs. They're the ones that are keeping our society you know, working, it's working for the rest of us because of those who are willing to do the jobs that don't pay enough for them to even live. Um, at, you say, uh, there's more month than money that the money runs out before the month does. And so that gal's listening and she's listening and she, she gets what you're saying. And I think it's helpful for her to get this book and read your words and know the struggles and, and maybe like even y'all where you had the financial, you went to a class at church and you were educated and you get to the budget section and you see the number, it's a budget for $50,000 and your husband walks out of the room because mm-hmm. your budget is half. Your The money you have to work with is not even close to this mm-hmm. low income budget that they offer as the example. And then how that financial, te- that teacher comes to your home and is like, you don't have a spending problem. You have an income mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a comparison Sometimes where we're like, that struggle is, uh, you know, not as bad as my struggle. But then there's the reality of sometimes we see a number and we think, wow, our, we actually are <laughs> worse off than we realized. And maybe we need to do something about it. Like when you compared to the budget of the gal who said her food stamp for the month was 600 and you had been spending $200 a month on groceries. And it's like, oh, wait a second. There is like, we are, we are at a place where we need to seek help because our pride will sometimes say, no, we're fine. We've got it. We can eat off beans. We can eat beans this week. You know, we're going to be okay. We'll just pull up our bootstraps and, you know, work a little harder. When in reality, you had to get to the place and the humility of saying, you know what? We're not, we're not okay. We need, we need a, a wiser, older person to come speak into our financial life, we need help from the government. We need help from friends. We need help from your parents. You had to get to a place where you're like, no, we we are in this trial and it is tough and we need help. So for that gal who's maybe just pulling herself by her bootstraps, she's doing the best she can. She's cleaning a house right now so that her family can can just make it. What encouragement can you give her to more than just make it? Yeah, that was key for us, Heather, was meeting with that financial counselor and realizing, okay, we really do have a problem here. And, um, but there's hope. So like you said, we went to a financial planning class at our church and to the lady that's listening right now, and you're really struggling, there are financial planning classes and churches across the country. Um, what was the name of the one you did? I know we did like crown ministries or something. So we, we did do a crown ministries class when we were newlyweds and we didn't follow the advice, (laughs) which is awful. Um, so that's a really good one. The one that we were taking in the book was, um, 
Dave Ramsey, but my yeah. editor told me not to say it in the book, but I can say it on your show. Awesome. Um, okay. For some reason, she said, don't do that. It's a really good class. Okay. I will say, um, this, I don't know what the sample budget is right now, but the sample budget was for $50,000 a year. And at the time we were making a lot less than that. And my husband did, he was okay with me writing this in the book, but he walked out of the room. He yeah. was very visibly shaken. Yeah. Any man that's, that's at their core. That goes all the way back to Adam in the garden. I think there's a heavier burden on men than we'll ever understand. Um, so yeah, I can get that. That's hard. Very hard. So, but it was in that moment we actually began to realize we really don't have enough money to live on. Mm. We didn't know before. We just, honestly, it sounds really naive, but we didn't know what it takes to support a family. Mm. And so our teacher, after that day he walked out, it was after that class that he and his wife said, hey, we want to help y'all. Can we come to your house? Can we pour over all your finances and figure out the root cause of your financial difficulties? So they did that. The next Sunday, they bought us Subway sandwiches. They came to our house. We ate lunch. And then they spent hours looking over all of our financial statements, you know, our mortgage at our home in Mississippi, our rent and all of our bills. And at the end of the day, he said, well, you don't have a spending problem, which let me say there's grace if you do. And I talk about having a spending yeah, problem. Yeah, you do a great job covering the heart of that. Yeah. He said, you don't have a spending problem, but you do have an income problem. You do not have enough money to live. And at that time, Heather, we had a toddler a infant, like one that was like 13 months old. And, um, I was pregnant with our third kid, the, mm. the, the, the next surprise. She was a, a very big surprise. We didn't even know we were gonna have more kids. And I, I remember it was around Christmas time and I hadn't even told anyone I was pregnant. I just found out. And, um, they were some of the first people to find out that couple that was our financial advisors. But it was, you know, in that moment, yes, it was tempting to despair because, wow, we don't have enough money. But it really was a positive thing because once we knew the root cause of our financial frustration, we could do something about it. Mm -hmm. And it really lit a fire under us to try to do something. So we continued to work our different odd jobs, but then um, we looked deeper into what could we do that would have a more longevity that really um, matched how God had gifted us. And there's different things I talk about in the book that you can try, you know, maybe it is that you need to look into a career change. You know, if you both work, you know, maybe one of you does, or if the husband's working outside the home, maybe the husband needs to look into a career change. And it's never too late for that. In fact, our teacher at the time, they were in their mid to late sixties and he had made a career change in his forties. Yeah. So it's, it's not too late. And we did look into that. And I guess now technically my husband has had a career change because yeah, now he just did. Yeah. We just did December 2016. But, um, you know, at the time God closed doors. Um, but he, that might be an open door for your family. If you're listening right now, um, we, it, another thing is that I'm passionate about moms staying at home. I'm not going to say it's wrong for moms to work, but I understand that desire to be at home with your kids. Um, but sometimes if you do not have enough money, it might be time for mom to go to work, at least temporarily. You know, if you feel called to be a stay-at-home mom, um, what if you got a waitressing job at night when the kids are in bed? And I've had friends who have done that um, in order to begin to gain some traction, you know, at least maybe pay until you can pay off debts or anything that has a chokehold on you right now. Mm -hmm. 
And then I talk a lot in my book, I have a chapter called Creating More Income, just about how you can look into the ways God has gifted you and the passions that you have and your skill set to start your own business. Because um, looking at that for me with how I love to write um, and I loved communicating with people, that that really worked well for me being able to bring in more income through blogging. It's different for everyone, but I think knowing that you have an income problem, like that's, that's half the battle right there. And admitting it, like we said, admitting we're not okay. Mm-hmm. Your marriage, even when you guys had to admit we're not okay. And that took bravery. I'm just going to affirm you right here to be in the ministry and to go to the sending people <laughs> to say our marriage is struggling because I can bet your pants <laughs> that there's a lot of missionaries struggling in their marriages, not admitting we're not okay. And we're all struggling in our marriages. Let's just call a spade a spade. But like to to call it out and to tell is brave. Um, to get help is brave. To say that we are not able to do this in our own strength is brave. And, you know, to reach out to your parents, all of that. So you're giving people hope and encouragement to do that just by sharing your story, uh, being vulnerable and honest about, we did not, we did not have it and we needed help. And here's how we did it. I mean, you spend most, you spend a lot of the book sharing those kinds of things, but also a huge part of it, giving really practical ideas on how to help your family. You're providing the help. So if you're even brave enough to go get this book and recognize, I don't want to just make it. I want to do more than that. Then I would definitely go check this out for sure. For sure. Well, during the whole time we were living the story of the book, I, you know, I kept coming in my head. We're just barely making it. We're just barely making it. And it's just like one day, um, that more than just making it came into my head and, you know, through God, we can more than quote unquote, just making it and just making it. It's more of a, you know, it is practically, but also like emotionally and spiritually, you know, we just felt like our whole lives were falling apart and, and really for all intents and purposes, it, it, it was like mm-hmm. everything did feel like it was spinning out of control, but God gave us grace in that. He taught us how to trust him and he really humbled our pride that we didn't even know it existed until we watched this journey. And it, it didn't just end with, you know, yeah, you had to move in with your parents or then you rented this townhouse. I mean, you then you ended up in bankruptcy court. Mm-hmm. Talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So we had that house in Mississippi for four years and we kept trying to sell it off and on. And we had a very small savings account. And so we were just trying, the, the way we made the mortgage on the house was to rent it out. So we would rent it out. We would try to sell it. We would rent it out and we would try to sell it. And then um, we had a renter who suddenly moved out, broke his lease and moved like to Texas or something. Like we had no idea where he was. There was, there was no recourse. You know, there was no, you don't get your deposit. I mean, there was just nothing. We ended up uh, draining that small savings to try to save the house. And at some point we just looked, we told our real estate agent, we said, we just, 
we just want to get rid of this house. Um, can we short sell it? Which is, for those who don't know, it's kind of like a step above foreclosure. It's where the bank agrees to accept less than than you owe on the house. Mm. So we, we put it on the market. She advertised it as a short sale and we got an offer. So we were like, this is awesome. And the offer was way less than we owed, but it was for what homes were going for in that neighborhood at that time. And uh, I think um, it was like 60% less than what we owed on it. It was bad. Like it was very underwater. And so um, we were all excited. We filled out the paperwork and there was this place, like this box check on the paperwork that said, have you ever rented out the house? And it's really interesting, Heather, because I checked it because we obviously wanted to be honest, but there was like something in my spirit that was just like, this is not good, but I, you know, I checked it and then we hear from the bank and they basically say, well, you're, we can't short this short sell this house because you rented out the house and we consider it investment property. Mm. So we, it was the type of loan that we had. We had an FHA loan and they considered it an investment. So the only option was for us to pay off the house, which there was absolutely no way we could. Um, we were already barely feeding our family. Um, or we could sell it for what it was worth, which there was absolutely no way. Or we could um, have the bank foreclose on the house. So we started the foreclosure proceedings and um, we didn't want to not pay if we still had any money. So um we, we told our real estate agent, we just want to foreclose. We just want to get rid of it. And, and she said, well, in order for that to happen, you have to stop paying. So we felt like it was an integrity issue. And that little bit of money, like we, 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 we paid it all. We paid every single penny that we had in our bank account. Um, and except for, you know, the check that my husband had that month for us to pay our, our bills in North Carolina. And then after we paid it all, the bank started calling every day multiple times a day. I was pregnant with our third Mm -hmm. child. And the thing is, so go back to 2006, when we bought the house, we thought we were doing the right thing. We qualified it on my salary because my husband was in seminary and and also working part-time. I was working full-time. And so we thought, let's just qualify it on my full-time salary because then we will, um, they won't, we won't buy it off more than we can chew, which is so, so <laughs> ironic. Right. And, um, so they'll just qualify it on that one full-time salary. So it was a blessing in disguise. Although at the time, honestly, Heather, I went through some bitterness towards my husband because my name was on the mortgage. Mm. It was me that had to declare bankruptcy mm. and he was completely clear. Mm. And so they called me, they would not talk to him and they were on central time and we're on Eastern time. So I would get calls at like oh. 10 o'clock at night oh. and, and I was seven months pregnant, six, seven months pregnant. And, and they would call and they would call and they would call. And it was like, I would, I would have so much stress rise up in me. I was, I was worried that it was going to like harm my baby. Mm. And then finally the money was gone. You know, they knew that we didn't have anything else to pay. And so foreclosure proceedings began. We went and, um, I taught, we talked to another financial counselor you can read the book to find out why we didn't talk to the the one, yeah. but um, he, he wasn't available anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we talked to a financial counselor who said, okay, I never recommend this, but you guys are struggling so much. You literally do not have enough money to even support your family. I think that you need to talk to a bankruptcy attorney. Mm-hmm. So we, um, my parents knew one from their church. Same community where we had gone to apply for government aid. I remember driving downtown, walking into the lawyer's office and thinking, 
what if somebody sees me and being so embarrassed. And the lawyer said the same thing that the financial advisors had said. Like when you go to bankruptcy court, usually you have like all of this debt. We, we handed him our mortgage note and he said, okay, what else? And we said, that's it. He said, there's nothing else. And we mm-hmm. said, no. And, and he said, and we told him how much money we were making per year. And he said, okay, you have an income problem and you don't have a spending problem, but you have this big debt. And he, he actually, and you know, this is probably something that can be controversial with some people, but he, he was a Christian. He is a Christian. He took us to scripture about how the Israelites every seven years, like they were to forgive the debts. Yeah. And I never heard that before. And he talked about how many people believe our founding fathers, that they formed bankruptcy law based on that scripture. Mm. And so it was some kind of relief to me. And I talk in the book, I don't really recommend bankruptcy unless like that. It has to be a really, really, really bad situation. And for us, it was. I don't think it's just an excuse like, oh, I've got debt. Let me just go declare bankruptcy. It's a really big deal. It affects your credit for years and years and years. So we... um, we had to wait. So I was eight months pregnant. I put on the best dress I had. My husband, we, I ironed a shirt. He put on a tie. You know, we tried to really um, make a good presentation of ourselves to try to, like, I was thinking we've got to restore our dignity. I felt just so shameful. And we drove to bankruptcy court and he could go with me, but he couldn't talk because mm. it was me during oh, wow. bankruptcy. And um, we went and they called our name. They called my name and I walked up, you know, waddled up to the front very pregnant. And the judge looked at our, our note. He looked at the lawyer. He said, is this it? And he said, yes. And he just struck his gavel and he said, it's done. Hmm. You're forgiven. Wow. And oh, <laughs> I feel like I could cry right now. Um, just that drive home. God taught me so much in that moment. Like it was one of the most shameful moments of my life. I had always prided myself on on doing that right thing of being that straight A student. You know, I was the valedictorian in my high school class and I was, you know, an honor student in college. And I was always not realizing how prideful I was about all those things, being like that person that does everything right. And, and then everything had gone all wrong and realizing my pride and being humbled and on that ride home, just just feeling a weight and burden lifted that had been there for so many years and realizing it was nothing compared at the, of the burden that Jesus carried on the cross for my sins. Mm. And just, just being forgiven of that debt and then realizing how much he had forgiven me so much more for my sin. And it was a very uh, spiritual awakening moment for me during that moment. So good. And, and there are, it's just the language of the sin, you know, it says the wages of sin, you know, the payment of sin is death and the free gift of eternal life. Like you're forgiven. Like the, It's final. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. He, all of that language came to life in that moment for you. And it's mm-hmm. uh, such a testimony, a tangible testimony of our spiritual bankruptcy that we, we even try to cover up. I hope no one sees that I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. We just had an episode on eating disorders and the shame and and um, the trying to keep up the appearances that I I have all of that body image under control and and that I hope no one sees me fall apart. Kind of keep it all together. So many women could identify with that. And what a powerful, powerful visual reminder that we've been forgiven. 
Mm-hmm. And you can walk out with that freedom, that burden gone. Uh, what did you do after that? What were, what were some of your choices uh, to bring you where you are today? So we just continue to try to bring in more income. And my blog, it was around that same time that my blog started bringing in more income for our family. And that around that same time that my husband got a job at a different school that still didn't pay a lot, but it paid more. We saw God begin to turn our situation around. Really, it was during that whole four-year process, and it really accumulated in, in the bankruptcy God wanted us to trust him in all things, that he was our great provider and that we really had pride that needed to be humbled and that when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up and that he gives grace to the humble. And um, so within a year of that, we were actually able to buy a home and we thought we would never be able to buy a home, but my blog started... um, more rapidly making more income in that next year. And the way we were able to buy a home was because my husband didn't have bankruptcy on his record. So I, you know, I went through feeling bitter towards him that it was me having to, to pay for all of these things. That's what I felt. I felt like, you know, I'm having to pay for all this and you're not having all the consequences. Exactly. I felt like I had to deal with the consequences, but, um, you know, realizing that God's hand was in all of it. And if, if we had, if we had gone to qualify the mortgage on both of our salaries in 2006, and again, we did that thinking we were being smart, um, that we would not be in the house that we are in right now that we have lived in now for four years. Mm. But even in that choice, he was guiding you. And even though it was a decision you would take back to even buy the house that that he had your back and he was, he was guiding you, uh, in that. So, so good, Erin. Okay. So people can find you online at the humbled And I have a feeling, uh, they could find a lot of help there, but also through this book, I mean, I'm going to just list off some of the topics that you cover, the practical topics, um, a lot of budgeting and meal planning and, uh, thrift shopping and, sales and um, even talk through government aid, all sorts of things, but really, really practical stuff. If uh, you listening are looking for help, for looking for tangible help. Um, I know for me, sometimes I know, quote unquote, that a budget is good, or I know, quote unquote, that I should spend money differently. Um, There's interesting, you shared other people's stories too. And one gal who said, her struggle was overspending. It wasn't the income problem. It was a spending problem. And she's like, I can't go to Target unless I bring another adult with me. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we joke all the time. <laughs> like, I joke all the time that if you don't spend $100, the doors don't open to let you leave. Like, you have to <laughs> spend a certain amount. But just opening our eyes, and I, I feel like uh, there's a lot. We, you know, the shoulds, and sometimes we ignore them. Uh, but I think you're bringing to light the stewardship aspect, opening our eyes that the blessings we've been given, because I know where we live in Dallas, I'm always feeling like we're less than those around us because they're living in $10 million, $20 million houses and three or four huge vacations a year. Some own multiple properties around the country. And I, if I do the comparison thing, I'm like, wow, we are just barely making it, you know, like... <laughs> and and yeah right right and then you read okay 
you barely have any food in your pantry. Okay, all right, Heather. Seriously, contentment. What is your little phrase? Contentment. Gratitude stills discontentment. Gratitude stills discontentment. And that's the thing that um, I had a reader actually write me this week. Uh, I had some early readers that got to read the book early. And she said that she felt like her family was just barely making it and financially frustrated until she read my book. And then she realized it was more of a contentment issue. And it is hard. I'm not going to minimize when you live in an affluent area, especially. So we moved back near my parents. And it is an affluent area. So we were living on a low income and surrounded by especially people in our church that were going out on their boats on the weekend and, you know, eating at fancy restaurants. And it was really hard um, to be content when we barely had anything. And it was very hard to let anybody know that we were struggling. Mm -hmm. But um, I think we, we live in a culture of excess. And that's something that I really hope to, I hope that people's hearts will really um, be softened when they read the book. It was hard for me to write about a lot of this stuff, but I hope that they will see, maybe I have more than I thought I did, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Um, because there are people that really, really are struggling. And it's not just us, you know, I talk in the book, you know, yes, we were considered poor. And, um, for the United States, but here's the thing too. My husband and I had traveled to different countries on mission trips before we were quote unquote poor. And so I still, I still cringe a little bit when I use the word poor describing us and it's not, it's not being prideful. And then it's, it's, it's because I think poor in America is subjective. Yes. There are people really struggling, especially with not having enough money to feed their families. But when you look at what we have compared to the rest of the world, we would still, when we were poor, we were rich compared to many of the people that we had um, met on mission trips. So true. So I think just it's that, that comparison, it's like it's, it's so harmful at times when we, you know, are looking around and it seems like everyone has it better. And then there's also this we can look down on people when we think or there's just, you know what, how about I stop looking around and I just say thank you for what I have been given in the country that I've been born in the family I've been born into the fact that I get to know you, God, and that nothing can separate me from you. We just studied that scripture last night in Romans where it's uh, not even nakedness and shame can separate me from the love of Christ. No matter what poor decisions um, and mistakes we make and the consequences we have to deal with, uh, it doesn't mean that God's going to love you less. And it doesn't mean that it's us dealing with the fear of man over the, you know, God, God loves you. And um, yes, we need to make wise decisions, but at the same time, none of this. No, the the woman in Haiti who's really struggling to feed her family, nothing separates her from the love of Christ. She is, she is rich in His love. But um, when we get, it's it's all about our heart position toward that stuff and what we have and what and what we've been given. And I'm just thankful that you pointed all that out. I'm thankful for the practicality of your book, but also the just um, vulnerability, like I said before, it's really refreshing. Um, If there's a gal and she would love to buy the book, but she's even at a place where that's a stretch. Mm -hmm. Do you have options for that? Yes. 
I would say please go request the book at your library. Okay. I would love to see libraries across the country carry this book because I think that it's a very important message. I feel like it's a story that, like we were talking before we went on air, that it's, I don't write about this a ton on my blog. I have a lot of different resources and I have a lot of family finance resources, but it's, you can't find all of this on my blog. And I felt like it was a story God really wanted me to write. Like I felt really called to it, even though it doesn't a hundred percent fit my platform. Um, but I would say let's get it in libraries across the country Mm -hmm. and that way, or I don't know if, you know, you can go in and buy it with a friend and then y'all share it in your friend group. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to say that as an author. But um, I think, I, think they... I hope you are not listening right now. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but you know, libraries, I would love to see it in libraries. And then not only can you read it after you get at your library, but then other people will have access to it as well. But you can get some free financial tips on my blog. Um, there's a family finance icon at the top at the humble Um, I wish I could buy everyone a book. I wish that I could just give it to you for free, but I'm with a publisher, so I'm not allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I I hope God uses this to to encourage hearts and draw people closer to him and, and more ways than, than anything just for them to know that there was a huge debt that we could never pay on our own, uh, that Christ took for himself on the cross that yes, Thank you, Erin, so much. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. I appreciate you too. And I hope that your listeners are encouraged and will find hope today. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Okay. There you have it. If anything, I am praying that you are encouraged that you can share whatever bankruptcy you're experiencing, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's a past wound, that you would be emboldened by Aaron's bravery and share and make sure that other moms know that they're not alone in this situation. Other women know that they are not alone. Okay, I said I would get to the, the logo contest. So here we go. So if you didn't hear in the last episode, this is what the logo contest is. I am basically doing a call out for you ladies, you talented ladies, to send me your ideas for a new podcast logo for the show. And I wanted to say the GCM podcast with the line, don't mom alone on it somewhere. I've gotten maybe 10 entries. So don't feel like I have 2000 and there's no chance for you to enter. The contest is going to end. October 1st. So get them into me at godcentermom at gmail.com with the heading and the email GCM logo contest. And I will see it. And I can't wait. Do not let the enemy hold you back and tell you lies that you are not talented enough or you don't want to bother me. God has given you a gift and I want you to have an outlet for it. And I want to be able to minister to your family and bless your family with uh, $200 to the winner of the contest. So uh, be encouraged. You have so many gifts. If it's not in graphic design, no worries. I am praying that God shows you what it is and that it's maybe a blessing uh, to your kids. Maybe it's a blessing to your friends. There are things that come easily to you that maybe you aren't valuing because they're so easy for you. 
Don't fall under the trap of thinking that it's not important because it's easy for you. We all need you in this kingdom building process. So do the thing that you're talented in. Bless your family. Bless all those around you and go and do it. All right. Thanks y'all for listening this week. Have a great one. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to godcenteredmom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.